Hey there, friends. Thank you so much for joining us for the Act on Science show for Tuesday, March 3rd, 2020. I'm Curtis Martin, one of your show hosts, and returning this week is Sam Renshaw. Hi. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm yeah. excited to be back again. Yeah, two weeks in a row. Yeah. Very exciting. After yeah. quite the episode I last know. week. I know. I think we'll probably be a little quicker today. Probably. Less heavy, is yeah. my guess. It's a good one. But we'll see. Because um, today, we're talking about the federal government protecting right whales, Building new airports now might be illegal, which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. And you're probably suffering from eco-anxiety. As we all are. Yes. <laughs> so this is the Act on Science show. Every week we get together with all of you to talk about environmental news and what it means for us in our day today. If you think that's great, we'd love for you to catch our show on YouTube or your favorite podcast service. Uh, just search for the Act on Science show. Um, but remember, the Act on Science show is all about ongoing conversations with all of you. And so that means we need your help to make this show happen. And every week leading up to recording, we're posting on Instagram, at ActOnScience, about all of our topic ideas and asking for your questions, your comments, and your concerns. And we'll bring those into the show when we record. Um, but of course, if you don't have time to catch our show, that's no problem. Uh, we'd love for you to still go to at ActOnScience on Instagram and be part of those conversations. Um, so we like to start off our show with a little segment called It's Time to Act, where we talk about all the ways you can get involved in acting on the science. Um, I just put first here, thanks to everyone who listened or watched last week, it mm -hmm. was a huge episode. A lot of heavy topics and pretty long. Yeah. Um, of course, send us any thoughts you have about those. Um, <laughs> it was funny. I posted on YouTube. Found, the trolls found us. Really? Yes. Which is hilarious because we're getting like not wow. not much action on YouTube. Mostly people listen, I think. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was that was interesting. It doesn't take much to draw them out, I don't no, think. No, probably not. Um, the other thing that's happening that I don't quite know a lot about um, is that the Democratic primaries are happening in the U.S. Correct. Uh, today is Super Tuesday. Super Tuesday. Do you know what Super Tuesday is? Not super familiar no, with me Super neither. Tuesday. I did a quick Google before this. <laughs> Um, basically, it's important to vote today. Yeah, so <laughs> I think it's different in Canada from what's happening in the U.S. If there's any U.S. people, let us know if we can mix this up or anything. Yeah. But in Canada, we kind of have our party leaders, I think, are nominated by the parties yes. themselves. Yeah. Whereas in the U.S., you get to vote on the leader of the different parties. Mm -hmm. and so that's what's happening for the uh, Democratic Party right now. And I guess Super Tuesday is like when a whole bunch of states do that. So. Yeah, so I think they already had it in like South Carolina yep. the other day. Iowa, I want to yeah, say. Yeah, a couple other yeah. people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so. So yeah, we always talk about how getting out and voting is probably the biggest thing you can do mm -hmm. to help people, help the environment, all that sort of thing. So uh, of course the U.S. election is coming out pretty quick and this is kind of already one of the ways you can get involved. So yep. go out there and vote. And yeah, anything else to add for it's time to act? Not that I can think of. No, nothing too crazy. Currently. Cool. Well, let's jump into our news segment, uh, which is how we start off our show, I guess, after it's time to act. Uh, <laughs> and our news segment we call News Weekly or New Environmental World Stories. We explore using experiences and knowledge lended by you and Lewis. And Lewis. And Lewis, who's very loud right now. Come here, buddy. Um, so this first story is actually super cool. Um, because it was sent to us from someone I went to school with. Yeah, yeah, I know who, Haley. Yeah, you know Haley, <laughs> who actually worked on this, I'm pretty sure, because mm -hmm. she's working for the federal government. Yeah. Um, hopefully I can see that. <laughs> but she sent this in. Uh, so thanks to Haley for sending this in. This is really exciting. 
I thought you might want to read this one because yeah. you probably know more yeah. about it than I do. I was super excited to see this. Um, so the article that we're discussing that was sent in is the federal government implements new measures to protect white white right whales um, by Andrea Gunn at the Chronicle Herald. So basically, North Atlantic right whales are super duper endangered and they're only found in the North Atlantic. So that would be here, Nova Scotia, and then, um, I don't know, their full range? No, I don't either. Um, but definitely, I'm pretty sure down like even to like Florida, I don't know how far south mm, they go. Okay. Um, but they have been suffering significantly um, in large numbers over the past three years. Mostly um, these deaths have occurred in the summertime and there are only about 400 of them left. Which is Total. insane. Total, yeah. Wow. So like that's crazy. Um, and so a lot of the reason that these right whales are dying is either from ship strikes, so collisions with like big ships. Um, I don't know how how big a ship would have to be to uh, move to cause some harm. Hey buddy, I know it's sad. We're, we're getting to the good part, don't worry. Yeah, that's right. Very concerned about um, And also from entanglements in fishing gear uh, that's either discarded or is active, uh, anything like that. So um, even after some of these fisheries have closed and the gear that would potentially harm these animals was removed, still nine deaths happened in 2019. Yeah, it's been quite the roller coaster. I know. Year. And you just hear like, oh, there's in a season like, oh, four of them have died. And then mm -hmm. like two weeks later, it's like eight of them have died. Yes. It's so awful. Um, but the federal government has been using acoustic monitoring and aerial surveys to figure out where these whales are, um, where they're going, when they're in the area. Um, <laughs> And then... <laughs> <laughs> yes, Lewis. Yeah, don't worry, bud. And so now the plan is to make these closures in large areas, but in like a moving sort of target way. Right. So like closing areas only in the times that it is necessary to close them. Um, yeah, which is really exciting. Yeah. So fish harvesters will have to remove the gear for 15 days. Um, and then will close until November 15th, so... Yeah, which is crazy to me. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, Lewis. <laughs> Lewis is freaking out for everyone who can probably see and hear. Hopefully he'll calm down. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I didn't... No, that's okay. I didn't quite understand this part because it said close until November 15th. Is that from, like, the summer on? Yeah, so I think it's wow. the entire season. That's insane. But um, they're also opening it early, as early right. as possible. So right. I think it's, was it snow crab? Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. So the they're in, almost like cahoots. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're working with like icebreakers to try and extend the season as far, um, like move it up as quickly as possible right. so that they have like longer in the beginning of the season when the right whales aren't in the area. So they're there like in this fishing zone in the summertime. So spring and fall would be more of like the safe mm -hmm. areas for these whales. Um, but yeah, so there's also speed restrictions that are imposed. Right, right. Uh, I think it's like, is it 10 knots? I didn't write it down. Yeah, that sounds familiar. From, um, from so school. any ships over a certain size have to adhere to this 
um, speed regulation in mm -hmm. the hopes that like they're going slow enough that either a collision isn't fatal for the whales or they can sort of avoid a collision because they're going slow enough to like either the whales can see them or they can right. see the whales that sort of thing um, so it's helping I guess yeah it? yeah it's really cool I'm so I guess for the why it matters we talked about um, there being only 400 yeah uh, total, but there's also only about 90 breeding females. Mm -hmm. And I think, I was trying to remember, but I think in the past on the show we've talked about like functional extinction. Right. Yeah. And how that's kind of like, although there's 400 of them, if you lose obviously the ones who can breed mm -hmm. and generate new whales, yeah. then you're, you're in trouble. So they always bring up that number. It's like, even though 400 might sound like a lot and it's really not. No. It's really, you've got to think about the breeding females. Yeah. Yeah, we that won't do any good if we only have males. Yes, <laughs> like no. young females, and a lot of the babies can, are dying too. Yeah, which is yeah, also it's really, really sad. sad. So even if these females are able to like have a calf, a lot of times they're even more at risk because right. they're so small. Right. And yeah, it's it's all not good. But the federal government is helping this. Yeah, this pretty is super pretty exciting. significantly too. I yeah. would say, in comparison to other things that we see in other places, like it's the decline of populations, mm -hmm. I think this is a pretty, pretty good step that the government's taking. Yeah, it's probably one of the biggest, at least that I remember. Like, me too. Especially, I mean, it's it's interesting because it's like a whale that's local-ish, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. at least relative to Canada. Yeah. But it's kind of, I think, something that's gotten national attention. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have probably heard about the right whales. Yeah. Um, I didn't know much about them until I came out here, but that's also really when that first really bad summer happened was, yeah. I think, the first year I was here. So, it, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I think that also we talk about, or I wrote down dynamic versus static closures. Right. And you kind of mentioned this, but maybe we can talk about why that's, like, super significant. I think for like federal management, because yeah. we've learned about this in school, but it's kind right. of like a new, a new idea, I guess. Yeah. So instead of just having like a static closure, which would be like this rectangle is off limits this amount of time or like whatever, or this right. fishery is closed down, like that kind of thing. Um, dynamic is more like adaptive, I would say, right. or hopefully more adaptive. Yeah. Um, to either closing certain areas or like imposing speed restrictions only when the um, the whales are in the area mm -hmm. and stuff. And they also mentioned like using this technology, so acoustic monitoring, which uses, well, there's different ways you can use it, but for the whales, I'm pretty sure it's just based off of their sound making. Oh, um, cool, I didn't know that. The acoustics that they like would, when they call out to one another or the sounds that they make, they can record them using these like underwater recording devices. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, or the aerial survey, so whales obviously have to come up to the surface to breathe, so like that makes it pretty easy, easy relatively, yeah, relative. to spot, like they will come up eventually, yeah. so it's can you see them when they're there. Um, so anyway, these sorts of technologies can help determine what sort of um, closures or restrictions you might need for certain times, mm -hmm. and obviously over the years you can sort of develop predictive models and stuff that would yeah. tell you it's probably best to do it now. That yeah, sort of this is super cool. I feel like this is like, we. I mean, obviously we're act on science. And yeah. this is like, I feel like a perfect example of like taking science mm -hmm. and like technology and combining it in all the best ways with management and like right. making it happen. Like you said, it like, 
it's funny, a lot of these concepts, they kind of make sense yeah. and seem relatively simple when you think about them. Like, oh yeah, we'll close down where the whales are. But mm -hmm. just the challenge and like seeing where the whales are. And I feel like now we have all the pieces and it's cool that they're being put together. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the last thing you talked about fish harvester livelihoods being affected. They, I think they interviewed uh, one individual who yeah. had a couple of comments. Um, one thing I was curious about that I didn't see mentioned, at least in this article, um, do you know if there's any like sort of like compensation or like if they've ever talked about like because we're closing this down and it's like a federal thing, maybe we could like help the fishers right. out in this way or I don't know. I don't know specifically in this instance. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't have all the facts for this next thing that I'm thinking of, but it also it did mention in the article that there will be like um, even within, I think even within the closed areas, right. there will be certain um, allowances for specific like, I assume the fishers that would apply for these uh, okay. like licenses to use um, ropeless fishing gear or like, mm. yeah, I think it said ropeless. Yeah, anyway, that sounds right. It's, um, so gear that's kind of less Yeah, intrusive. less, yeah. The idea is that this gear doesn't use the ropes that entangle these whales mm. that kill them. So I wonder if in that sense it's compensation where like those alternatives are available maybe at like oh, hopefully some sort of subsidy or right. like a lower cost or maybe you're allowed to jump into like an alternative fishery if you don't, if you're not allowed to fish in this fishery. So I don't know for sure. Yeah. Um, but that was one of the other strategies that was like mm. being used to limit the impacts on livelihoods. Yeah, it'd so. be cool to see those options if yeah. they're not already available to maybe, see them become available. Yeah, maybe if anyone knows of compensation, let us yeah. know. Yeah, or maybe like, Haley knows. Yeah, Haley might know. Hey, Haley. <laughs> How's it go? But yeah, super cool. Uh, this is like a super positive story. I mean, obviously, what made it happen, like what yeah, led us here, is not super positive, but it's kind of. I mean, this has like sort of similarities to a lot of things we talk about where things have maybe gone downhill mm -hmm. for a little while and it's like really cool to see that action can happen and yeah. hopefully it will have a positive effect. Yeah, this is definitely a, a bright spot yeah. for conservation. Yeah. So yeah, thank you so much Haley for sending this in. This is really exciting. Hopefully we'll see more stuff like this and congrats on making this happen yeah. and being part of it. It's yeah. super cool. Awesome. Well, let's move on to our next story, um, which is all about maybe airports, new airports <laughs> now being illegal to be built, which is really yeah. interesting. <clears throat> this is so, really cool. Yeah. So this comes to us uh, from Damien Carrington at The Guardian, and the story is called Heathrow Third Runway Ruled Illegal Over Climate Change. So I guess this is like one runway within an existing airport, Perfect. but you kind of think of like the same concept. But anyways... There was this court of appeal in the United Kingdom which ruled that building a third runway at Heathrow Airport is illegal because it does not account for government commitments to tackle the climate crisis, which is so interesting. Super cool. Yeah, yeah. very, very cool. Yeah, we'll get to why. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm already ready to jump <laughs> no. um, So basically, the group that took this to court argued that the Paris Agreement uh, target for the UK was important for government policy and that the project did not show how um, building this runway would be consistent with sort of the commitments under the Paris Agreement for the UK. And there is this quote from someone named Tim Crosland, uh, who was part of this legal charity named Plan B, which brought this legal challenge, who said, it's now clear that our governments can't keep claiming commitment to the Paris Agreement while simultaneously taking actions that blatantly contradict it. 
The bell is tolling on the carbon economy loud and clear. This is so cool. Yeah, this is really... Like, I feel like there's been so many times, even on the show, we haven't been around that long. We've been, like, government saying, we've made these commitments, and then doing kind of the opposite thing. I think we talked about it last week, probably, a whole bunch. I think we talk about it every time. Yes. So it's really neat to see this happening. Like, it's, I don't know. It's really cool. Especially, like, again, we're not as familiar with the legal side of things, but a lot of these sort of commitments are not necessarily built into law right and so it's cool to see like usually when a court makes a ruling that's like oh wow yeah that's a big deal because that setting i guess i put it in here we've talked about this before too it's setting the precedent like probably around the world Mm -hmm. especially in the uk yes but basically saying yeah even though the paris agreement isn't like a legally binding thing Mm -hmm. it's going to be held up in court and at least in this case well and heathrow is a massive airport was it the, the second busiest airport am i making that up i, have no I think idea. i read something like that it has some we'll statistic that check. makes it like one of the busiest airports in the world yeah i would assume it must be pretty massive yeah um so for them to like i mean obviously not them is not the airport but for them to like <laughs> limit that airport's productivity or their um i don't know what you would call it like use um, by mm. like by restricting right. an additional runway because I guess I also was a little bit <laughs> naive. I didn't know that there were like only two. Yeah, that seems crazy. Runways. Maybe they're really really big though. I don't know. So anyway, like obviously you're at increasing the airport by like a third at this point. Right. Like, which could be huge. Yeah, and I think it said something yeah. like seven hundred additional planes per day wow per day i could be wrong but i think that's what it's amazing so i just looked it up the heathrow airport is the busiest in europe and the seventh busiest in the world with 78 well this is a little old now i guess 2017 oh no february 2019 78 million passengers in 2017 wow that's crazy 81 airlines to 204 destinations in 85 countries so yeah, this is not small potatoes. No, no, this isn't like a local airport. No, not getting the go ahead. This is a massive, potentially very important, like economic investment yes. as well. Like That's this really is super point. important, probably for the government and especially the airport. And there was definitely in the article some pushback from the spokespeople for the airport. I think. Yes, definitely. Um, I think they're going to appeal it. Is from is yes. what I saw. Um, or at least someone, I think, said that. And, um, yeah, it's interesting, too, to think about, like, the effect on the airlines themselves. Because those are private yeah. companies, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, totally. They're, they have, I, I would say, they're probably losing out here. Because they wouldn't be expanding the, the runway or the airport if there wasn't, I guess, some sort of demand. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we're still at the stage where flying is becoming more and more common for mm-hmm. a lot of people. Um, yeah, weird. <laughs> I think it said something about like this being part of the, like this expansion mm-hmm. being somehow related to or like one of the reasons or the ways of making like the globalization of the UK like happen sort right. of. So increasing like the transport to and from imports exports because a lot of stuff still is like transported and shipped by plane. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I think it was like the the airport proponents saying that like well we're going to be losing out on 
all this money we're going this is going to like limit our globalization like our impact on a global scale like yeah. in trade and all this kind of stuff and then the rebuttal again was that these like economic benefits might not be all that the airport says that they're going to be mm, or like right. whatever so so maybe not as back big and as forth that. for sure but definitely there's but always yeah. the two sides it seems like in these cases uh, the other thing I threw in here that I thought was kind of interesting to think about is, this is specific to airports, but, mm -hmm. like, what does this mean for other infrastructure, oh, other fossil sure. fuel infrastructure? Like, maybe this could be, like, a really big deal. I don't know. I thought it was also interesting that, like, the airport is being, like, held accountable for climate change right. as well. It's, like, there are lots of other things that could definitely be held yeah, yeah, <laughs> to yeah. this, like, the Paris Agreement. Um, targets that yeah. are not being, but the airport was like maybe an easy target for yeah, some maybe. reason. I don't know. It is weird that the airport is like the first case where we see this yeah. happen, right? I thought that was a bit like, all right, like I'll roll with it, yeah. but why yeah. not other things? Maybe I feel like airplanes and like airports and all that has become like one of the more visible in a sense. Mm -hmm. Like it's not necessarily like the worst thing, but I think it's like one of those obvious, like right. how much fuel you'd burn on like a flight or whatever right. so maybe that's why maybe it's kind of like publicly yeah yeah public like everyone kind of knows about it it's mm -hmm. like sort of a bad thing it seems to get a lot of attention relative to yeah. like even just driving cars i would say i don't know why because yeah. i i assume cars account for more but i might be wrong i guess it depends on like how often you would drive your car versus how many flights you take right. in a year like theoretically you could be like contributing to your carbon footprint more by driving your car than oh, your totally. flights in the year combined. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like if we are taking this as an example, you could kind of boil this into any new development. Like yeah. there is in some way, like, um, uh, I don't, the word is escaping me, but like not withholding the Paris Agreement in sort of any industrial development or yeah. like uh, is a mall like yeah. not or going against the Paris Agreement if like the clothes if you consider all the clothes like in the right. carbon emissions that go into the things inside of the thing because yeah. it's not like the runway itself is the problem it's the right. traffic it's the, from the runway it's what yeah what it would yeah. bring yeah yeah it's a good point it's not even just direct things like in my head it's like, like pipelines or like the yeah. obvious ones right but yeah totally the indirect like yeah, building a theme park out of town. Mm -hmm. or, like, it makes you start thinking about city planning, yeah. which we haven't talked a lot about, but it's, like, a huge... Crazy. ...issue, a huge thing linked to climate change is, like, how we plan our cities. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> yeah, it's a whole, a whole thing. So, yeah, this was pretty cool. Yeah, I thought it was really, really interesting. We'll have to keep our eyes peeled if we see more of these. I feel like every episode we have some sort of legal ruling that mm -hmm. we're like this could be big and i think they're starting to like pile up now to a point where it's it yeah it's it might snowball yeah and i'd love to know if there are other things like this i mean obviously i mean i haven't seen any things mm -hmm. being like held up to the paris agreement and not gone through mm -hmm. this one will probably get a lot of attention because of the scale right but i would love to know about other ones that like have been yeah been i mean the same i standard. think in the article it said this is it's, I mean, whatever this means, it says it's the first major ruling in the world to right. be based on the Paris Agreement. So I don't know what constitutes major. Like, yeah. Like and you like, say, there might be others. Will this get pushed under the rug and we won't hear about it? Or like, yeah. will it delay for 10 years? Or I'm yeah. interested to see where this goes. Yeah, it'll be very interesting. We'll keep an eye out for it.
So we move on to our third story, which is kind of like our last one tied into our... Yes. The last two bits are kind of the same topic. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, so the, the last thing we're going to talk about is well, maybe help with... Help or, I don't know, make your day worse. <laughs> it's, um, I think it's a good thing to talk about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you're probably suffering from eco-anxiety. Uh, so this one was written by Haley Smith at the HuffPost US. Um, I have tried all day to figure out how to say... Oh, this word? This word that means eco-anxiety. <laughs> yeah. If you want to enlighten sure, me. Sure, <laughs> yeah. I've, only because I've heard someone say it before. Okay, good. I think, I think they use eco-anxiety as like what it... Yeah, like you said, what it means, the alternative yeah. word for it. But yeah, we like we usually have a little segment we call Words Are Hard, <laughs> where we talk about hard words that are hard to understand for everybody. This is a perfect one. I think it's pronounced solastalgia. Alright. So like nostalgia, but I don't know what solace means. Maybe that sounds like sun almost. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of but scary. yeah, solastalgia, which yeah, means eco-anxiety, or yeah. it's the same word. Uh, and the definition they put up there is feelings of despair, stress, and anxiety around a changing planet, which I thought was very broad and interesting. Yeah. It's not just climate change or, like, even, like, a warming planet. It's just yeah. a changing planet. Well, I guess, like, even for me, like, my, not, well, if it's feelings of, like, fear, stress, mm -hmm. whatever, it's more related to, like, animals rather yeah. than, like, the sun. Kind right, of, yeah, like yeah, killing yeah. us slowly, um, <laughs> but so like maybe that's like it's mm. it's an all encompassing term for like maybe the specific ways. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. for me it's yeah it's more about the animals than, than yeah. my personal. Well, it's very safety. selfless. Of you. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> really awful. So sad. Um, but yeah, basically the whole article is talking about how like this sense of fear and like dread about the environment uh like anxiety mm -hmm. is increasing across the globe and i think across like scale as well it's not just like contained in like your little eco bubbles or within right. like like institutions it's like everyone even right. i think the youngest person in that article they talked about was like 16, 13? Yeah, young, like, a, like a like young a teenager, yeah. Yeah, like middle school to yeah. teenager um, person. Um, and it shared, yeah, some people's stories um, about how, like, one person was, one child, like, teenager was mm -hmm. just, like, would watch something on TV and then immediately have to go and, like, turn off all the lights and start recycling right. stuff. Like, I was like, yeah, I feel that too. Right. Every time you watch, like, I don't know, Planet Earth or something, you're like, Wow. Okay, let's get rid of all the plastic in my house, like <laughs> yes. all that kind of stuff. Just purge everything. Um, yeah, but I mean, it also talked about all the support that is available as well, yeah. which was pretty pretty good to see in that kind of article. So, um, Climate and Mind is like one of these support groups that was set up by a clinical therapist in Seattle, and I think that was this therapist's like only goal like I that was their so, like yeah. only i don't know maybe they, maybe they have the practice right elsewhere but this was specifically set up for people who are experiencing this eco anxiety which i thought was pretty cool yeah very cool and it was i think it's a website i think yeah this is the one i went to i just had a little check into it and it's like a whole bunch of resources mm -hmm. kind of if you're dealing with this which i think is really cool um so yeah i mean 
this is like a like sad negative thing, but also I think there was like a lot of positive like sort of pieces in oh, here, for sure. like the support group. Um, so yeah, I threw up a little poll on Instagram, um, and a few people responded. Everyone who did said that they've felt this before. Yeah, um, which is not surprising based on the article. It said mm -hmm. this is kind of like. And you mentioned this. It's not like limited to people who are even like studying this or yeah. like maybe more environmentally conscious. It's like even people who don't necessarily know what it is have mm -hmm. probably felt this, which I thought was really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I never had thought about before, but they talked about was how it's not the same as other, I guess, I don't know if you can call it typical or like other grief or anxiety. Yeah, um, yeah. Because it's constant and there's not really mm -hmm. like, it's not really like an event that happens and you can like try to move past from. It's like kind of something that's always on the horizon. Yeah, like I think, didn't I compare it to like the death of a loved one or something? I think it was like so. it doesn't have steps or it doesn't yeah. have like expected procedures. Yeah, there's like the stages of, yeah. of grief, which I think we've all heard a little bit yeah, about. Yeah. And it says it doesn't really have that. Mm -hmm. Like it's not really possible, which I thought was interesting. And can be re triggered every time new information comes up. And I was starting to think about like, well, we do communicate <laughs> a lot of these things. And I think, it, I was thinking about how in December we did all positive stories. And yeah. I think it's like, I think it's important to talk about these things, but we also have to be aware of the effect it has mm -hmm. on ourselves and yeah. everybody else, right? For sure. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think it's something we've been trying to focus on a bit more is balancing positive and negative stories. Mm -hmm. Like our first two here were like really positive. Yeah. Things, because there is a lot of good happening. I think we need to focus on that as much as mm -hmm. the potential for, for bad. Um, yeah, this was interesting too. When we talked about for younger people, um, they did like a survey and it's basically they surveyed people from Gen Z. Yeah. Which I don't even Gen know. Which, I the don't, Gen Zers. I'm going to look at it real quick. I think that, is that? What is? Because are you millennial? I'm millennial. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. This is the learning thing. You get to learn what uh, Gen what generation uh, you're a part of. So it's after millennials. So yeah, you might be then. Why is this not clear? Ever. Early... Yeah. I don't think they have like s strict cutoffs. Oh, it says 1997 is the widely accepted beginning. Okay. So I'm a millennial then, technically. Okay. Just barely. 95. So by two yes. years. <laughs> so yeah, they... Any, anyways, they surveyed people from Gen Z and they like listed off their like top sort of anxieties or worries or stresses yeah. and this was number three which is amazing to think about what were the other two like gun violence and suicide rates which is really yes, also so. very depressing yes, it is but it's crazy to think that this is like up I know. there for especially for young people you maybe maybe think like oh they're not thinking about this they're not mm -hmm. as worried like i don't know when we were younger at least at least when i was younger i was like i knew this was kind of a thing but it wasn't like Mm -hmm. so close I would say like yeah I remember being in elementary school I think I was in like grade six seven or eight or something like okay. that and um I like bought this book for a school project about climate change oh, and it no was way. like this little like small handheld book it was pretty thick it was probably like an inch or two thick oh, not maybe not this, two okay an inch and a half thick and it had like really cool like infographics it mm -hmm. was kind of for kids and I like brought it in for a school project and my teacher was just kind of like are you sure? Like, <laughs> oh, no. Really? And I was like, yeah, like, I love this stuff. Like, yeah. I knew even then I was like, this is so interesting to know about, like, my favorite animals and how mm. they're being affected by all this stuff. And, like, 
then she, my teacher like bought books about climate change and like the oh, environment yeah. for our classroom because she was like, well, I guess this kid likes the environment. So like, <laughs> <laughs> what a positive influence. Yeah, <laughs> but that was like my first exposure, and I think mm. like even probably the first exposure for a lot of like the kids in my class that even I was interested. Mm. I don't know how my immediate friends weren't as right. like into it. And so I would have been like the same age as some of these kids that they were interviewing in the, like the article. Yeah. But yeah. It's so interesting. It's interesting too to think about like, like I came from a very tiny town mm-hmm. in kind of landlocked BC. And this was like, like that, this, the city I'm from is like a bubble. <laughs> like you don't really, I mean, obviously you learn about science is like a big thing obviously yeah. everywhere, but you don't, at least I didn't learn about this stuff until university, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, because it just like like you hear about it like generally and maybe I'm sure now everyone is like I think things have changed even since when we were in high school and and younger but yeah because we just were in our small little bubble of a town we didn't really think about these sorts of things which is crazy Um, yeah what else there was a oh this is cool this is really important I thought Um, so there's this therapist they interviewed named Jennifer uh, Bulow I think or Bulow um, from LA, who said this really, I think, important thing, saying, if you're feeling this way, you are not alone in feeling this way. Um, this person said it's a shared trauma and it gives people a chance to come together and envision a new way to live, mm-hmm. um, which I thought is like a positive way to look at it in a sense. Like, I think these sorts of topics are tricky to compare among people because right. everyone is affected by things differently, right? And everyone mm-hmm. feels things differently, but there's also nothing I can think of where everyone has this shared sort of yeah yeah grief or trauma or whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it, um, and it, yeah, it kind of gives a unique I guess opportunity for people to come together around it. Yeah, which we're seeing with these support groups and things like totally. that. Totally, I think like to add to that, it can it's a shared trauma in the sense of like you see these kinds of things happen when there's like natural disasters or something. Right. So like. Um, I think there was just a tornado in Nashville, right? I'm wearing a Nashville shirt. Um, yes. I should have looked that up. Yes, yes. 22 people died. Wow. Oh, sorry to add to the. Well, no, but it's okay. But anyway, um, but like you see, when it happens, all these campaigns, it's like, um, like pray for whatever, or mm. like give to right. whatever Donate cause, or, and it's like yeah. those things are so, like immediate and it's like everyone kind of comes together and it's like we have to do this for that this whatever has happened to help them um yeah you're totally right but it fades and you Mm -hmm. don't really hear about it because in a lot of instances once the rebuild starts to happen and things kind of like get back to normal or whatever like there's still devastation but it's out of the media's eye whereas i think this kind of stuff is like kind of always pops back in there like that Mm re-triggering so Mm -hmm. yeah it totally is like a shared trauma but it's also like pretty like long it's not like going away anytime soon so I think it's important to have these support groups like in case that like re-triggering happens or whatever Mm -hmm. um because yeah this isn't gonna happen like change overnight yeah 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 I think it's an important thing to talk about like that's and I guess maybe we'll flow into our last segment here because it's on the same topic yeah uh, where we talk about usually the funny incredible and ridiculous things that scientists do to find out all the things but this time we're talking about how scientists wrestle with grief mm-hmm. i thought it was kind of a nice coincidence that i found yeah. these two articles in the same week um so yeah there's this article um in science news by jonathan lambert 
which is called How Scientists Wrestle with Grief Over Climate Change. And I thought this was really cool because obviously first-hand experience for us in a sense because mm-hmm. we, we studied science, like we took it in school. Yeah. Um, but also I feel like <laughs> you think about like the classic um, image of what a scientist looks like, right? Mm-hmm. Or who a scientist is. And typically I think you think of like a person who doesn't necessarily have an emotional connection to yeah. what they're doing. I mean, obviously we're talking about a stereotype a mm-hmm. little bit, but I think a lot of people don't think about scientists in that way. It's right. like people. They're, right. like, they're just people who learn things and give us that information, yeah. right? So yeah, this was really interesting. So the article talked about how scientists are, it's kind of in the opposite sense. Scientists are often on the front lines of seeing sort right. of the damage happening to the environment and to the planet. And often with it comes anxiety and grief. Um, and yeah, I kind of mentioned this. There's an idea that scientists are or maybe even should be emotionally disconnected mm-hmm. from what they're studying. But again, typically it's the opposite. And in a lot of cases, I think, at least with the people we know, yeah. they're studying it because they care so much mm-hmm. about it, right? Yeah, and I think especially too, like, I think the scientist image is also kind of, maybe again, stereotyping, but more of like clinical science right. where it's like maybe medical research or you're in a lab like looking at mm. molecules or like chemistry yeah. physics like that kind of stuff right. not to say that those people also aren't passionate about their work but like yeah. I mean at least for us it's more of like the people side or the animal mm. side or like the management side where you're inherently like not in a lab all the time yeah. so I think it, that kind of work is based more off of like your passion for things right. like for me I love the ocean, so I study ocean stuff. Yeah. Whereas, like, I think it could maybe be the reverse for other disciplines of science. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's I a don't good know. point. But, yeah, I think, like, transparency of, like, biological sciences in yeah. the sense of, like, zoologists and marine biologists, yeah, like, those kinds of people, or, like, climatologists or whatever, like, mm-hmm. so. I would also say, too, like, you have to remember, usually... <laughs> A lot of scientists spend their whole life studying the most specific mm-hmm. thing that you could think of that's like, again, seemingly inconsequential, but usually connected to a right. much larger right. thing. But if a person is going to spend their whole life studying, for example, one microscopic species of algae for right. their whole life, they're probably going to be yeah. studying it because they enjoy it yeah. in some way. Right? For sure. So yeah, I think it's important to think about how scientists are people and connect in that way. And there was this really interesting example um, of eco-anxiety that had happened in the past, mm-hmm. which I had never heard about before, uh, related to the rapid decline of the American chestnut and the grief felt by the Appalachian Mountain communities um, because this uh, tree was so important to the local culture. Mm-hmm. And the article talked about how it was like, it was in like all aspects of like food and like a events and it was like a huge community connected thing and it's like I think it's another thing that's important to think about not just like the entire planet like maybe being damaged and things Mm -hmm. like that but we talked about this last week too but about what specific places mean to people and their culture and that being lost Mm -hmm. and so it's not just grief about like I love the ocean yeah. in general, right? <clears throat> Which is, of course, a thing, but it's also like, well, maybe I can't eat these fish anymore because mm-hmm. they're not here. Like, that's a totally right. different kind of grief, I think, in yeah, a sense. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and of course, also mentioned something we've talked about before, how people, 
Affected by environmental changes first are often farmers, fishers, indigenous communities, and other people who are really connected to mm -hmm. the land, uh, but also scientists because they see it every day yeah. and they're thinking about it all the time. Mm -hmm. Trust us. <laughs> all the time. Um, so yeah, another kind of positive thing that popped up here um, was this Climate Psychiatry Alliance founded by someone named Lise Van Susteren, who is a psychiatrist in DC. And they, this person and I think others, started this uh, project called the Adaptive Mind Project. Um, and it's a group of social scientists. And they started surveying people just last year. Um, and this was, I think, focused on surveying scientists. Mm -hmm. And 80% of the respondents said that they were feeling burnt out. And this person mentioned that one of the big reasons could be climate grief. Yeah. Because again, it's something you're thinking about all mm -hmm. the time, right? And we often think about burnout as like overwork. And they mentioned how feeling anxious about the environment can maybe cause scientists to overwork right. because they're, they think they always need to do Trying more so and more. Hard, yeah. yeah. But also, yeah, just the general, like, general anxiety can lead to this feeling of being mm -hmm. burnt out. So, very interesting. And it's cool to see that we're thinking about this. Yeah. I think it's like, part of, in a sense, the like mental health movement. 100%. How we really still have a long ways to go, but it's becoming a thing that's more open and yeah. talked about. I think this is like a big part of that. Uh, yeah, and then like, not that this article is like, woe is me as a scientist. Right. Like, it, obviously this is a bigger issue, but I think in science in particular, you can see how this becomes so like prolific in the sense of like, there's the classic publish or perish so mm, you yeah, have yeah. to sort of this pressure to be on top of your game and if you're in like any sort of field that would relate to climate change at all the kind of expectation is that you're well read and you're well versed right. and you're up to date on all the like latest climate change news so yeah. it's like it's a lot of pressure how can you not be like put under this sort of burden of climate grief yeah like for sure it's gonna happen and like you said on the bigger aspect of mental health um, in like the workplace or like w why can't you take a mental health day because you're feeling overwhelmed by the climate crisis right. like that should be totally fine not just even in science like it could be like yeah. anyone that feels this way um, it goes back to the mental health thing but like this is a totally legitimate reason mm -hmm. that you might be experiencing those feelings for yeah. sure so yeah, yeah totally if you're feeling that way just uh, like these kind of say just know that you're not alone mm -hmm. in feeling this way and I think something we'll continue to think about is how we can sort of counter this in a way yeah I think part of it is positive stories but also yeah we'll, we'll try to keep thinking about things as we go yeah and then the last little point I put in here is more of a discussion question because I think the article had it but they didn't talk about it mm -hmm. they said is it time for advocacy <laughs> we've talked about it a little bit on the show there's this like kind of ongoing debate of should scientists be advocating right. for things all that sort of I just thought it was an interesting thing to throw in there. It's, yeah. I think it, I know for me, and this is kind of in a sense part of it, it's, it helps. Like, mm -hmm. like studying it is great, but also trying to act on science <laughs> <laughs> to make positive changes happen, I think is like an important outlet and an important way to, yeah, help right. keep that. Yeah. I totally agree. I think like if you are studying this stuff and you are so passionate about it, sharing it should be part of the responsibility of yeah. that study like scientists should in some aspect of their like job description even though this is also not always felt 
Right. Like, not a lot of people share this opinion, or not everyone shares the yeah. opinion, that, like, the communication piece is not always the scientist's job, because they're trained to do the science, not right. the, like, press release or, like, the writing or mm-hmm. whatever, but I think it 100% is, because otherwise then you run the risk of, like, other people not communicating your work, or it's not relayed the right. same way, and, like, you see that happen all the time, that, like, things are published or taken out of context and stuff. I think, yeah. like, if this is what you do, and, of course, you are able to like within your like I don't know maybe climate tolerance to Mm -hmm. to perform those advocacy like duties so just like tweeting maybe like hey here's my new paper this is what it means like in like the whatever characters you can use yeah yeah like I think that should be part of a scientist's job yeah nowadays especially totally yeah and like if I think it's okay for scientists to not want to communicate directly but then there's a lot of great communicators out there sure. that you can partner up with, yep. right? And so, yeah, I think totally you're right. It's, it's kind of, I think, part of, and maybe people would disagree with this, but I personally think part of the reason we are struggling so much with the environment, like we've gone downhill so much, is because we've taken a long time to communicate to mm-hmm. everybody. Yep. I think scientists a lot in the past were communicating really well with each other, um, but maybe not necessarily reaching out. And the media is a huge like important piece of that I think Mm -hmm. uh, to help make that happen so yeah I think like to like you're talking about finding the positives it's like we don't always see the positives if they're not communicated like there are small wins along the way even if even if the win is just like oh it's not as bad as we thought yeah that's still positive like for people to know and understand um like the small like tiny little victories are still 100% 100% worth celebrating mm-hmm. because otherwise you would just get completely bogged down with all of the negatives. Yeah. So. And yeah. it's funny, like, that you just triggered my memory for something. I think it was unrelated, but how mm-hmm. people don't often celebrate the positives as much. Like, right. when they're successful, they usually put less on that than when they fail. Right. Just, I think, as individuals, I was talking. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think totally in the environmental science movement and. We, we focus a lot on the negatives because it's what gets the news, right, yeah. usually? But yeah, I think we need to definitely celebrate that. So that's yeah. a really good point. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think that's it. I think Anything that is it. Anything else to add? Nope. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us, friends, for the Act on Science Science show this week. <laughs> <laughs> like the white rails. <laughs> yeah, we, we bookended the, yeah, we bookended the these, segment. Yeah. Um, so thank you. Yes, thank you so much for joining us. Um, again, you can head over to at Act on Science on Instagram. Uh, hit us up with any questions, comments, concerns. We'd love for you to be part of our show. Send us stories like Haley did. And that's awesome. Yeah. We love that. Um, yeah. And until next week, bye. Bye.